service this morning. Thank you for being here, being part of our service today. We have one special group of folks with us this morning. Coach Abby Stutz from the Fred Hardeman University. She's a coach for the junior varsity team at uh, Fred Hardeman. They are here with us this morning. We are glad that they're all here. And we also have the, the Lady Tigers from Northeast team coming in. We're glad that they're here with, with their coach, Chelsea Rhodes. They'll be playing at 2 o'clock this afternoon up at Northeast. And uh, we are glad that we've got all of these folks with us today. Thank you for being with us today. We come together each Sunday morning to worship the Lord. And as we enter into our time together in worship, would you please bow with me? Our Father, thank you for all of the many blessings that you bestow upon us. Our Father, we're so thankful that, that we're here today to worship you. We pray that our worship will be in accordance with your will and, I, and that our worship to you will be acceptable. We're thankful for these young ladies that are with us this morning, and we pray for their safety, and we pray for that you will lift them up and help them to be the kind of person that you would have them to be. These things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. The first song we will sing today is Our God, He is Alive, number 23, Our God, He is Alive. We'll be singing the first and the fourth verse. Let's all sing. There is
prepare our minds for Mr. Brother Ken's lesson on the relevant revelation is give me the Bible, 450. Let's all sing Give me the Bible, start that is Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you allowed us to come together here and sing songs and hear a lesson from your word. God, we're so blessed and we're so thankful for all the many blessings you've given us. We're especially thankful, God, for the health you've blessed us with and the ability that you've given each of us to go out into the world and do our best to serve you. Please help us each day as we try to do that, God. Help us live our lives in a way that is pleasing unto you. And when we mess up, God, please forgive us. This morning, we ask that you please open our hearts and open our minds as Brother Ken comes to preach a lesson from your word. We thank you for him and his ability to preach. And we just pray that everything we do here today will be pleasing in your sight. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, the invitations on today will be, there's a fountain free, 909. The song before the lesson today will be ancient words, screen only. Holy words, Lord, preserve for our all in this world. There is sound with God's own heart, let the ancient words impart. Words of life, 
I'll be reading Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the bright, brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Good morning, everybody. It's terrific to see you. Got to thinking today, it is an absolute truth that I am preaching before the lions and the tigers. So we're hoping for an extra degree of protection in the speaking of God's word today. But that's pretty unusual circumstance. And it's glad to have two rivals in the same house. Well, I guess sometimes in the church we have the same rivals in the same building, um, a consequence maybe of personalities and such, but we're glad to have these schools represented here. I just think it's a, it's a special statement about where we live for our Northeast group and of the Fried Hardeman School, that university that so many of the members of this church have connections with. We really feel blessed to have you in our audience today. And I'm certain that we have visitors as well. We have some family members with us and friends, and I've noticed several of you have the same. It's just a, it's a great time to be together. And thank you so much for choosing to be a part of our assembly here today to worship God in spirit and in truth. Today, I want to share with you the value of relevant revelation. Many today have the sense that the Bible doesn't matter. I want to share with you what the Bible has to say about itself, and then just from a practical standpoint, what it is that we ought to be seeing in the Scriptures as a benefit to the life we're striving to live. My habit is to pray that God will bless us in the endeavor of the study of God's Word I need that help for sure as I'm trying to present God's words. But I also pray for you so that maybe in spite of me and my efforts that you'll be able to derive something of benefit for your life. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege it is to assemble here today and to be a part of this time of fellowship. Fellowship of brothers and sisters, of friends and family, and fellowship with you. We pray, Father, that all that we're doing is acceptable in your sight. Lord, I ask you now, as we enter into this particular avenue of worship, that you will help us to go beyond just simply a Bible study, but that these words will be enlivened in us, that it will find its place in our hearts, that you will motivate us or you will change us. 
But help us, no matter what, to be a reflection of your Son. And help us as best we can to embody the truths that we find here in the Scripture. Help me to communicate it, Lord, and help those who hear it, that even in spite of what I say or my particular delivery, that they can receive from you what you intended in the very beginning when you wrote these words. Thank you for all the blessings that will come from our study today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, to, to be absolutely frank and just to lay it out there on the table, I'm not going to suppose that I stand before you as a spokesman for the Word of God or God Himself as being the great popular deity that everybody's invested in. It just seems like the farther we go along in time, either the less interest there is in what God has to say or the less the interest in God altogether. And it is not unusual for people to make comments like this, that the Bible isn't relevant. It's, it's an old book, you know, it's, it's too old to be relevant to a modern life. It doesn't fit the way we live today. And so on that notion, offhand, by the way, the precepts and the teachings of the Bible are just kind of cast away, or at least just the general sense of that. Whether or not we live it is one thing, but it just seems like we're pretty quick to cast off something that's been so significant through the course of history. But I would suggest to you, even in this modern time, as one who lives in the midst of it, that for those of us who are really familiar with the scriptures, those who have invested their lives in the study of scripture or who've committed themselves to living out what God teaches, we would suggest to those of you who very offhandedly cast the Bible aside that really the pragmatic argument we would make, the practical thing is that, you know, you can say what you want to about the Bible, but as we have applied the words that we've found there, here's what we've learned. We've learned that our lives are better, that we have a better sense of direction. We have a better sense of who we are and where we're headed. We know what we're all about. And the deeper we get into those truths, the more those facts are borne out. The closer we walk with the dictates of the scripture, the better our lives become. It's not surprising the Bible speaks of itself in those kinds of terms and it is unapologetic in doing so. In Hebrews chapter four and verse 12, that scripture says that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Now, what I mean by being unapologetic is the Bible just says right there, listen, I, the Bible personified, I am a living thing. And as I enter into you, I'm able to make discernments about you that probably you can't even make, at least not on the surface. It's amazing the deeper we dig into the scripture, the more that fact becomes true to us. That word is piercing, piercing. 
In fact, in James chapter one, beginning at verse 21, James says, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who observes his natural face in a mirror. He observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Whoever looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, he says this one, this one's the one who's reflecting or he is embodying the truth that he's discovered. He describes the situation not uncommon to us. You wake up in the morning, you go to the mirror, you see, well, depending, <laughs> you see all kinds of things, right? But let's say we look at the image that's in the mirror. We have a disheveled look about us. We recognize it. I messed up. You know, I don't want to go out in public like this. And so what do we do? Well, if we're doers of what we find there, we'll make the application and change what is apparent that needs to be changed. If we're not discerning, we just walk away as though we don't care. People will just have to deal with it. <laughs> okay, peace. But the reality is that the word of God is one of those things that when we dig into it, we're going to discover some things. And as we discover them, we have to make a decision. Am I going to heed what I find there or not? Seems to me that those people who would offhandedly say that the Bible is not relevant in their lives are saying it for this reason. And that is maybe they have found something in that word that indicates the need for change. Now change isn't easy. And because change isn't easy, wouldn't it be just kind of the quicker mode of transportation through life to simply say, I'll not observe that. I will not listen. I, I want to I share with you today just three different ways of looking at the scripture that at least will propose for you the idea that the Bible's relevant, Okay. First of all, I want us to know that the Bible is relevant simply because it's the Word of God. Now, I know what a lot of people do. Like today, I was sitting in a sunroom looking out toward the east and watching the sunrise. And if you saw that this morning, wow, I just wanted to start singing How Great Thou Art. It just, it was moving. It was so beautiful. I've known people who've traveled to scenic places in the world and they had that experience too. They just, they saw it and they were, they were moved. Something inside them just kind of broke free. It's like, wow. And in those moments, we, we are moved spiritually because we are seeing something that is beyond ourselves. In my case, when I look at that, I think of the absolute glory of God. Now, I've had many people in my life come along and say that very thing about images in nature that I saw this morning. And for them, that's enough. It's like I have experienced the glory of God. Ken, my church is the outdoors. 
The scriptures actually speak to that very notion. And if anybody would have had that experience, it would have been David, right? A shepherd stayed outside a lot, tending the sheep. And so he saw images like I saw this morning lots of times and undoubtedly was moved by them. And Psalm 19 begins this way. It says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows forth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no word. There is no truth that goes out that hasn't been experienced. He says all over the world. Hey, I get that. It is the image of God's majesty on display. When you see it, you just can't help but be impressed with what God has done. The presence of God. Great. That tells me something about God's creative power and design. It tells me something about, I don't know, can we say it? The eye that he has about how he composes things and I'm just amazed at that, more amazed at the picture of that than of the most detailed and beautiful painting that man could produce. I'm just, wow. But the thing it doesn't do, it doesn't tell me anything about the personality of God. It doesn't tell me anything about what God expects of me. In another tribute to the amazing picture of the creation that God has put before us is Psalm 8. Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you've made him a little lower than the angels, crowned him with glory and honor. You've made him to have dominion of the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Now right there is another depiction of the amazing attributes of God Yet, he says, there's more to it than that. Now, he talks about something. We assume in this text, he's just talking about man being made a little lower than the angels, but crowned with glory and honor. We just, we scratch our heads. Wait, what? When I look at the majesty of God, I feel so small. When we come to the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 2, we find out he wasn't just talking about mankind. He was talking about God in that moment, in the grand scheme of the creation itself and of the, the beauty and the amazement that our eyes can behold. Then in the midst of all of that, God sent his son, Jesus. And it is Jesus who is made lower than the angels coming in human flesh, but exalted before the Father. It is Jesus who becomes the means by which we can know God better. In John chapter 1, we get the personal aspect of who God is through Jesus. And in this text, 
there's some interesting language that's being used because instead of talking about Jesus just as Jesus, which he will do later, he introduces Jesus as the word, the logos of God, the very, the very image and picture of God walking among us. You want to know about God, he says, then you look at Jesus. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. Verse 14, he says that the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. When the father spoke of Jesus in Matthew chapter 17 on the Mount of Transfiguration, he said this, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen now, hear him. Don't just look at the glory of God made majestic in the picture of creation. Hear his son, hear the words. Isn't that what our text said from the beginning that Sam read for us? In Hebrews chapter one and verse one, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. What is it that David said by inspiration? That he was made a little lower than the angels, but crowned with glory and honor? How did that happen? He died on the cross for us. He shed his blood to save us. That's the message God would love for us to hear. Not just that he's a great God, but that he's a saving God. So Jesus speaks of the Father and he's the very embodiment of the Father as he walked among us, but then he left. I mean, he ascended to the Father. But that work of communicating God went on. Peter spoke of this in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 16. He says, For we do not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place till the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scriptures of any private interpretation For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. How do we know these things about God? Did Peter make it up? Absolutely not. Peter says, I'm just a spokesman on God's behalf. These are things that were established from before the very foundation and translated to us through the work of the Spirit himself. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 says a similar thing, only with fewer words. He says that the gospel that he preached was not from man, nor was he taught it, but it came by revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Now, friends, that revelation, those words, transcend to just the image that we see of the beauty of nature and tell us something about the personality of God and about what God expects of us. And it is that that creates the relevance for us even today. It is relevant because that word, once taken inside us, can do all of that dividing and separating and changing, identifying the problems that exist that we saw earlier in the scripture. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In Hebrews chapter two, he says, therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which as the first was testified to us he indicates by the Son, and then by the apostles, and then by the power of God, wonders and signs that were done by his power. God manifested his truth through Jesus, and then continued to express that truth through the apostles and others who are inspired by God. No doubt about it. In terms of relevance, the Bible's relevant, if for no other reason than it is the word of God. But I'll also tell you that the Bible is relevant because it is going to answer some questions for you that you can't get answered anywhere else. Otherwise, unanswerable questions. I don't know if you've ever asked this question or not, but a lot of us want to know about our origin. You know, where did I come from? <laughs> where is my starting point? What, what's the deal? How did I end up here? Some people have this notion that they are here simply as the result of organic evolution. That somehow with a multiplication of billions and billions and billions of years, that something that had no life at all, something that was inanimate, all of a sudden one day decided that it would live. And then through the promotion of cell division, I guess in some kind of vacuum, because in a natural environment, it would never have happened. But somehow or other, it found itself in a vacuumous system. And then those cells continued to divide and to adjust. And before you know it, we have intelligent life in the form of humankind existing on the earth. Okay. Or we can believe the Bible account of what is expressed. And again, what's kind of interesting, just as David just asserts things, or as we saw in Hebrews chapter four, the Bible just asserting some things about itself without really any explanation at all, the Bible begins that way by laying out the very foundation of all that exists, not, not trying to give us the minute details or to try and somehow prove to us that it happened this way. It just states it as though it is a fact that reasonable people accept. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth and so forth and so on. Notice, in the beginning, God created. That's the assertion. Where did I come from? God created me. In Hebrew, in Acts chapter 14 and verse 15, in this argument, just kind of a truth develops where he makes this assertion that God made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that's in them. For most reasonable people throughout time, that's not even been a debatable position. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being witnessed by the things which are made, even his eternal Godhead, so that they, and that would be us, they, us, they would be without excuse. There is no excuse, according to Romans chapter 1, verse 20, to, de to deny that God's presence is in this all of this, because simply we can see the evidence of it. That picture that we talked about of creation that so moves us, evidence. The minute details of life itself under a microscope, evidence. Just the moving of truth that, that penetrates our soul, evidence. God created it. You want to know where you came from? God created you. What am I here for then? Well, you know, Acts chapter 17 says that we are in a particular place at a particular time, verses 30 and 31, so that we might grope after God and find him, though he's not very far from each one of us. So I have no doubt in my mind that I'm here for the purpose of finding God. But aside from that, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You and I, we're going to be involved in all kinds of pursuits during the course of our life. But never lose sight of the fact that the purpose you're here for the time that you are here is to bring glory to God. You are a part of that amazing creation that exists that brings glory to God. So don't waste the opportunity to exalt him by the life that you are living. And he says in this case, bring glory. He bought you with a price. Make his price worth it. So I know where I came from. I know why I'm here. Where am I going? Some people in this life come up lots of different ideas. Some people have the idea that there is nothingness. You know, when you die, there'll just be a lot of dark nothingness. But I'm thinking the only way that would be possible is this, if I had a consciousness of nothingness. Because the only way I would know that I was in nothingness as opposed to living with consciousness would be if I had consciousness in my not living. Does that even make sense? doesn't to me. So I can't imagine just nothingness or I wouldn't be able to even experience this. Others say, well, it's not nothingness. It, actually, it's reincarnation. That is, you're going to live, you're going to live again, you're going to live again, you're going to live again. You're living through all these lives with an idea of reaching the top level of just experiencing and coming to a fullness. Yeah, okay. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27, that it's appointed for men to die once. And then after that, the judgment, you're going to live 
And by the way, again, we're living to bring glory to God. And then you are going to die. What it is that you have done in the period of time in which you lived is what's going to make all of the difference in the world for you and where it is that you ultimately are going. Because your destiny depends on the actions that you're taking right now. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way which leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. So I, I see the Bible as being relevant simply because it's the word of God and because it answers otherwise unanswerable questions, but I also see the Bible as being relevant because it introduces us to a being who is worthy of worship. And whether you realize it or not, and you may deny this to my face, and again, peace, that's fine. <laughs> okay, I'm cool with it, but all of us are worshiping something. You may say, I don't worship any God. Okay, again, peace, but you are worshiping something. You may worship your job. You may worship your sport. You may worship your bank account. You may worship another person. You may not even realize the devotion that you are giving to something else. But all of us are designed to look for something that is greater than ourselves. That's been complicated throughout history because men have sought to worship inanimate objects like idols, gold and silver or stone. Men have worshiped the, the heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, and the stars. Men have worshiped animals. They have worshiped plant life like trees. But none of those are the true God of heaven. The almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere God. In Isaiah chapter 44, Isaiah pokes fun at people who worship inanimate objects. He says it's kind of strange to see a guy go out here and cut down a tree, and then he'll cut that tree in half. With half of that tree, he'll chop it up and make firewood. With the other half of that tree, he'll carve an image into it and make it his God. So he'll take the kindling, he'll make his fire, he'll sit there and put his hands to it and say, oh, I'm warmed, I can cook my food on the fire, this is nice. And then with that carved image, he'll turn from the fire, he'll bow down before it, he'll worship it, and he'll say, save me from my enemies because you are my God. How ridiculous is that? It's a good thing that he got the right end for kindling, isn't it? Or else he'd have chopped his God up for food. It's ridiculous, the notion that worshiping such a thing brings you into the presence of deity. In Psalm 119, David said, not unto us, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. <coughs> Nor do they mutter through their throat. 
Those who make them are like them, and so is everyone who trusts in them. The person who makes an idol, the person who trusts in an idol is like the idol in the sense that they are empty in their thinking. That idol can do nothing. It can't, it can't speak, it can't see, it can't hear, it can't smell, it can't handle, it can't walk. Why in the world are you worshiping something like that? How foolish. But the true God of heaven has extended himself to us, yes? He did that by sending the word, Jesus. He seeks true worshipers, which is what we've been expressing here today. In John chapter four, verses 23 and 24, the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus, the word, lamented in Matthew chapter 15, verses eight and nine. He says, these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain, they worship me, teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. The Bible is relevant because it is showing us how to worship this God of heaven, the one who made the creation that we are in awe of, the one who made the microscopic details that we marvel in. It is that God who has instructed us and it is that God who desires fellowship with us. So great was his desire to be in fellowship with us that he sent his son to die for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, that text says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is set within the context of God's desire to be reconciled with us. How could I be reconciled with mankind? Send the son to die for them, shed his blood and sacrifice for them. The only way. And even that Jesus who anticipated that he was going to die for sinful mankind, had not the smallest degree of hate or resentment toward those who were sinners, but was just simply filled with love. In anticipation of dying for us and ascending to the Father to reign, he also anticipates that glorious day of reunion. And he encourages us to be faithful in our service to him. In John chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. For where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That Bible is relevant for a lot of reasons, three of which we've talked about generally here today, but that Bible is especially relevant because it is the Word of God. And it is the very embodiment of that Word who lived among us and died for us and makes possible eternal life with the true God of heaven. Today, if you're a child of God already, but you've lost sight of the glorious God of heaven, 
you've fallen short of the feeding of your soul through the reading of that word, then today I just want to encourage you to get back on track. If you need to repent, repent. You need us to pray for you today. Let's pray together as a group. Let's encourage one another to be faithful. Maybe today you're ready to act on instruction that you've received. You've come to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You're ready to turn away from your sins and repentance, to confess your faith that He is the Son of God and that God raised Him from the dead. Then today you can be buried in water to have your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus and you'll rise again in newness of life. If there's anybody who needs to respond today for any reason, now's your opportunity. Why don't you come forward if you need to while we stand together and sing this song. There's a fountain free for you. supper we'll sing how deep the father's love
As we were driving to church this morning, Kim mentioned that I would be responsible for the Lord's Supper this morning. And one passage went through my mind when I found that out, and I thought I'd share it with you this morning. It has to do with the class that we're teaching the young teenagers right now. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We learn from Solomon that in Ecclesiastes that our soul returns to God because he was the one that gave it. We also learn in Ecclesiastes that that soul is united with the baby in the womb which means that the one that created you has a vested interest in your life. But not only did he create you, he offered a sacrifice to save your soul, the soul that he gave you. And he asked for one thing. He said, I want you to remember this when you meet each week. He said, I want you to remember the body that I gave, and I want you to remember the blood that I poured out for your salvation. So as we do this, keep that in mind, that he could have asked for a lot of things for the price he paid. But we get to eat a cracker and drink some grape juice in remembrance of his sacrifice. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for all that you've given us. We are thankful for your son who was willing to pay the ultimate price for our salvation. We pray that you will bless this bread as we know that it represents your body that was given on the cross. And it's in your, his son, and it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Let us bless the food of the vine. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much. For the blood that was poured out, Lord, which washes us whiter than snow. We pray that you will bless this fruit of the vine, that you will wash us in your blood, and that we may be seen a pleasing soul in your eyes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Now, because it's convenient, you also have an opportunity to give. Uh, there are a multitude of ways of doing this. I believe there are five different ways listed on the screen behind me. Let's bless the offering. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much. We live in a land of abundance, and we all have more than we could ever need and ever desire. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we know that all good gifts come from you. And we pray that as we give back to you, Lord, that it will be used in your kingdom to grow your kingdom, Heavenly Father. And we are thankful for all the many blessings non-material that you bless us with as well. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning, and isn't it a nice day that we were able to come out and not get rained on and not be too bitterly cold? Uh, uh, really nice day. 
Uh, got a few announcements, and then we will be led in prayer uh, to dismiss us. Um, the first one I'd like to read is a thank you card. Uh, the thank you card th- uh, says, thanks, it was so nice of you. It says, dear church family, thank you for the visits, calls, text, food, and all the prayers offered up on, on my behalf following my knee surgery. It is truly a blessing to be part of a, such a loving congregation, Linda Breard. Um, also, we've got uh, a couple of meetings directly after services. Please uh, pay attention to the location because we had a conflict. So all girls in the youth group uh, need to meet in the little chapel immediately after services this morning. That's to the back and to the left. Um, and then uh, the media ministry uh, location because of that we're uh, the people that is uh, going to be participating in that I think there's always already been some email communication online about it meet down in the conference room downstairs um, for that as well uh, salt three salt team three will host a desert, uh, dessert and coffee fellowship in honor of our Bible class teachers next Sunday evening in the annex following classes uh, all Bible teachers are invited, and the SALT Team 3 members are asked to provide a dessert. And on our other SALT Team, SALT Team 1 will host the men's breakfast in next Sunday morning at 8 a.m. in the annex. That's an hour and a half before services next week, Lord willing. And if you plan on attending, please sign the list in the foyer to help uh, get a good count of that. Uh, today, uh, the devotional at Landmark is at 4 o'clock. And uh, we have an open house today. Today is a busy day. Uh, if, if y'all haven't already noticed, there's a lot of things going on. But uh, everyone is invited to uh, the open, holiday open house. This is at uh, Ken and Anita's Forrest's house. That'll be at 2 through 4. Come in and go as you please. Also, the Bible Bowl will meet today at 4, 4.15. And then uh, the Ladies' Ornament Exchange uh, tonight at the Elliott's house following uh, the Bible classes. Uh, there's also a bus sign-up list for that if you would like to ride the bus out to that location. Um, there are a lot of others. If you'll look in your uh, um, bulletin, uh, there are other um, uh, announcements there. But in the sake of time and getting these two teams uh, off to their destinations, uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that. So if you'll pr- uh, stand and uh, uh, pray, we'll, we'll be dismissed. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, this another breath of life that you have given us this morning that we might come together and worship your holy name. Heavenly Father, as we go from this place, we would ask that we would take the encouraging words that Brother Ken has given us about the eternal and relevancy of, of worshiping you. And Father, as we, uh, as we try to uh, go through this life, may we uh, live a life willing that would be worthy, that would be worthy of your son's death. Even though we can never repay that, we can at least attempt to try to live as he would have us to do. Heavenly Father, be with the two basketball teams today as they compete against each other in friendly sportsmanship and competition. May they do have success in, in all their endeavors. And, but mainly, Father, we just ask that you would keep them safe, that they may be able to enjoy the game and, and each other. Heavenly Father, forgive us of our sins as we ever strive to live with you in heaven. This is our prayer in your son's name. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you.